Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. We will actually be in the final verse of chapter 1, and then we will get into chapter 2 and talk all the way through uh, Jonah chapter 2 this morning. We are in a series of messages concluding next week as we walk through the four chapters of the book of Jonah this year, uh, this year of evangelism. And, and one of the questions as you're trying to find Jonah in your Bible, one of the questions I, I want to address is this, this elephant, or I should say the will in the room, is this story true? Is the story of Jonah true? You know, there are a lot of people out there that are cynical, uh, that are atheists, and, and, and they're cynical about the story of Jonah and, and the great fish, this, this well that, that swallowed up uh, this human being. And, and three days and three nights, this Jonah, this prophet of God, lived inside the belly of the beast, and then the, 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 the well, the big fish, spit, vomited Jonah on dry land in the exact place that God had told Jonah to go earlier. And people say, is this true? Is this story true? And of course, I believe it is. It reminds me of the story of a, a woman who was sitting on an airplane and she was reading her Bible and, and lo and behold, who came beside her was an atheist. And, and he looked at her and he looked down at the Bible and he looked back at her and said, do you really believe that that book is true? You really believe that all of those stories are, are true? And she said, well, yes, I, I believe in the Bible. And he said, you must be kidding me. You're living in the 21st century and you believe the Bible. And she said, well, yes, I, I believe the Bible is true. He said, well, do you even believe that the story of Jonah who got swallowed by the well, that that, that, that happened? And she said, well, yes, I believe it happened because the Bible tells me so. He said, is that right? You really believe that a fish can swallow a man? Well, what's, what are you going to do when you get to heaven and you find out that it's not true? She said, well, when I get to heaven... I'll ask Jonah how God did that. And the man laughed and he said, well, what are you going to do if Jonah is not in heaven? And she said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> did Jonah, some of you will get that later, but did Jonah, did Jonah really get swallowed by a big fish or by a well? And of course, the Hebrew scripture is very clear in Jonah chapter 1, that God appointed, verse 17, a great fish, a, a large fish, not a well. It was, it's it's uh, two Hebrew words for great, large fish. Now, of course, it could be a well, it could be a large fish, it could be uh, an, an animal that is now extinct. We don't know the kind of fish that it was. Was it a well? Was it a fish? Was, uh, we don't know. These details, we don't know. But we do know that verse 17 is very clear, and it says that God appointed, God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. So did this happen? Did a big fish swallow Jonah? Or is this just a, a story, a fable, in order to teach a, a lesson? Well, I believe that this story is true. No question in my mind that the story of Jonah happened just as the book of Jonah describes it happening. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 12 refers to the prophet of Jonah and refers to him being swallowed by a well. And Jesus himself believes that this story literally happened. And of course, we know that Jesus is the creator. Jesus was there. Jesus saw it all happen. Jesus created Jonah. And so in Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus talking about this story of Jonah as a literal event. In fact, Jesus said as Jonah was in the belly of the beast, for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. So Jesus spoke of Jonah not as a fairy tale, 
but not as a fable, but as a story, a, a narrative that actually happened. So it happened just as the Bible described. Now let's see the story of Jonah. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up forever. Yet you brought up life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, of course, we know and believe that it's true. We accept it by faith. And Father, we thank you for the miracles of faith. Of faith. We thank you for the miracles of this word. And Father, we know that there are so many things that, that, that we accept and we believe by faith. And Father, we know that miracles even happen today, and we thank you for being a miracle-working God. And Father, I ask that you will speak to us this day. As we open our hearts, may you speak your word into our life today. We ask this in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, please be seated. The first thing that we see about this story is that this story is about God. This story is about God. Now, when we think of the story of Jonah, we, we think that the story is all about Jonah. Well, Jonah wanted it to be all about him, did he not? Jonah wanted it to be all about him. God told him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah said no. And, and, and of course, we, we know that, that he did his own thing. He wanted to make it all about him. The sailors, as we saw last week, they made it all about them. Now, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They were about to sink. Their boat was about to go down. And, and so they were really worried and concerned about it. But still yet, they, they made it about themselves. Many think the story of Jonah is about a big fish that swallows the prophet. That's not right either. This story is about God and God alone. As we come to these verses that we just read, we see uh, even inherently within the text itself what, what we call a pericope of Scripture, a, a segment of Scripture that these, these Scriptures, these verses come together and it tells us and it shows us and it screams to us this reality which is so very important that God is the center of this story. You notice that we started reading the last verse of chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 17, why is that? Well, the reality of chapter 1, verse 17, is that it actually goes with chapter 2. You say, well, then why is it in chapter 1 if it goes with chapter 2? Well, understand that chapters and verses in your Bible were not added by the people who wrote the books. When Matthew is writing his gospel, he doesn't start with, say, well, I'm going to entitle my gospel Matthew, and this is going to be chapter 1, verse 1, and then he starts writing Chapters and verses came much later. In fact, it was in the 13th century that the church adds chapters and verses to your Bible. 
So chapters and verses are not ordained by God. There are mistakes, and and this is a mistake right here, because verse 17 of chapter 1 actually goes with the poem, the the song of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2. The majority of Jonah 2 is a psalm, a prophet, uh, a song that the prophet sang, a a prayer that he prayed at some point before losing consciousness and, and being swallowed by the fish. But the end pieces, the beginning and the end of these verses, tell us exactly exactly who's in control look back at verse 17 it says and the lord appointed you see it there and the lord appointed a great fish to come and and swallow up jonah now look at verse 10 this is the bookends verse 17 of chapter 1 is your first bookend verse 10 of chapter 2 is your other bookend it says and the lord spoke to the fish you see it there So at the very beginning of his song, we see it's all about God. At the very end of his song, we see it's all about God. And then everywhere in between, we see it's all about God. This story is not a story of a prophet who was running. This story is not a story of a sea that was was raging. This is not a story of a whale. This is not a story of any of that. This is a story about God. When you look here and you see Uh, the word Lord. I want you to look in your Bible, chapter 1, verse 17. You see the word Lord there, and it's in all capital letters. Do you know what that means? This is the covenant name for God. Anytime you're looking and reading in the Old Testament, and you find the word Lord, and it's in all capital letters like that, this means that it is the, the word Jehovah, the word Yahweh from the Hebrew Bible. And so what we find here, it's, it's the third word in the English language, but, but in, the, in the Hebrew language, it begins, verse 17 begins Yahweh. Chapter 2, verse 10 begins Yahweh. And so what we find, again, is, is this story is all about God. It's all about Him. Now, we want to make it all about us, don't we? We, we, we want to make our trials all about us. Look at me, woe is me. Look at all that's going on, but we must understand that God is the author, he is the finisher, and he is there in between the whole time. This is a story about God. This, your life is not your story. Don't be selfish. If it was all about you, then when bad things happen, I would feel sorry for you. But your life is not about you. Your life is not about your spouse. Your life, here's, a, here's something that's going to break some hearts. Your life is not about your kids. Your life is about God. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And so we see Jonah and finally beginning to understand that it's not about him. It's not about the sea. It's 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 all about the Lord. It's all about God. The story is about God. Number two, the second thing we see is the Lord sustains us in our trials. The Lord sustains us in our trials. Look back at verse 17 and look at what the word says. Again, the first word in the Hebrew text is Yahweh. And then the next word is the word appointed. In Hebrew, it's the word manna. If you are reading in the Hebrew text, chapter 1, verse 17, it says Yahweh manna. Yahweh manna. The Lord appointed. The Lord provided. The Lord sustained. Now, what is manna? Manna is the substance that the Hebrews received after they left Egypt, and as they were wandering in the desert for 40 40 years, God provided manna, bread, that fell from heaven, and there it was on the ground that it was provided for them. 
manna was given in order to sustain the people, even after they sinned. As they wandered in the desert, despite their complaining, they, they began to complain, we hate manna. I'm tired of manna. I, I wish we were back in Egypt where we, got, where we had steak and potatoes. I, I'm over this manna. I, I'm over this, 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 this quail. I, I, I'm over this. But God is saying, listen, I am sustaining you in your trial. I am sustaining you. I am giving you the nourishment that you need. Do you really think you were better off in Egypt under slavery and under bondage? Or do you think it's better to be free? The Lord provided manna. Yahweh manna. The Lord appointed. Now, that manna that fell from heaven was not what the Hebrews wanted. It wasn't the taste they wanted. Do you really believe that the, the, what the Lord provided, what the Lord appointed for Jonah is what he wanted? Do you really think that being swallowed by a great fish is, is a three-day cruise? Do, do you really think that, that he stayed three days and three nights in the Marriott? The, 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 the fish's name was not Marriott, okay? He's, he's living in the belly of a fish. It stinks. Have you ever smelled raw fish? This is, this is his life. However, I want you to understand that God provided. It might not have been what he wanted, but God provided. It may not have been what the Hebrews wanted, but God provided. And in his manna, he sustained. At times we get so caught up in our trials, sometimes we get so caught up in our sin or, or the struggles of life that we fail to see God's provision even though it's right in front of us the whole time. God, I'm tired of this. And the whole time God is saying, this is what I'm giving to you. This, this is my provision to you. This is sustaining you, even though we completely miss it. You may not see his provision. Sometimes his provision is disguised as a trial. At times, if we're not careful, we, we may completely miss God's answer altogether. Understand that God always answers prayers. He doesn't always answer prayers the way we expect him to. He doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to. But mark my word, God always answers prayer. As we just said, I seriously doubt that Jonah wanted, uh, initially saw the big fish to be God's answer to his trial. He was sinking deep into the ocean, and he's very clear in verses 5 and 6 what was going on. Look at your Bible. The water's closed in over me. So, so Jonah is thrown overboard. What do you think the prophet's going to do? If you're thrown overboard into the sea, what are you going to do? You're going to start treading water. You're going to do everything you possibly can to keep your head above the water. But what, is it, what happens? He says, he says, verse 5, the water's closed in over me. There was a great tempest. The, the, the oceans were moving in such a way he could not stay above the waves. And so what happens? He is driven down, he says. This is his words. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. He, he went under. The current pulled him under. And it says seaweed began to wrap around his head. He's getting stuck. He says, I'm at the root of the mountains. If you've ever scuba dived or snorkeled, you know that the, the sea floor is not a flat floor. It, it's mountainous. It, it moves. It has shape to it. And, and this is what he's describing. I, I'm going down. I'm, 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 the bars have closed around me. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, 
Yahweh Elohim, O Lord, my God. I want you to listen. There's a false teaching that is going around in many churches today, and many Christians are falling, falling to this false teaching. Often finds it, oftentimes it finds its root in these television preachers, that, that these broadcast guys. They, they preach this health and wealth, prosperity gospel. They say that you should always be smiling. Now listen, I love smiling, I love laughing, I love joking. I, I would rather laugh than cry. I would le- rather be positive than a pessimist. But the problem with this kind of teaching is that when the rubber meets the road in our life, if you bought into this false teaching, what are you going to do when the rubber meets the road? If you think that only good things should happen to you and no bad things should happen to you, what are you going to do when bad things happen? Well, you're going to say there must be something wrong with me, right? That's logical. That, that's a logical conclusion because things aren't going the way they should. You say, well, I just need to put a smile on my face. But there are some here today and you say, I, I can't put a smile on my face. I, I'm a single mom. I've been told that I have three days to move out of my apartment. I can't muster up a smile because I'm sinking in this debt. You say, I, I'm so far in debt, I can't get my head above the water. I, I'm like Jonah. My, my life is being squeezed out of me. I, I'm going from bad to worse. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a bad day? I've had a bad day. And, and there are times when I say, well, it can't get any worse than this. What happens? It goes nuclear, right? It goes from bad to worse to nuclear. And that's like Jonah. It went from bad to worse to nuclear, from the pan to the oven. Jonah said, the storm is raging. It's my fault. Throw me into the sea. He's thrown into the sea. Now he doesn't have a life jacket. Now it's going from bad to worse. Bad was the storm. Worse is now I'm in a sea with no life jacket. Nuclear is going down. He's sinking. You say, well, what do I do? What do I do? I, 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 you see, friend, I, I know what it's like to go from bad situations to worse. Where you don't think it can get any worse, but it does. The question is, when that happens, what do we do? What do we do when that happens? Do we throw our hands up and just walk away? Well, no. Where are you going to go? Where, where, if, if you are sinking, if, if you're in the middle of an ocean sinking and drowning, think of how illogical it sounds to throw your hands up and just walk away. Where are you going to go? You're drowning. You can't trust in yourself. You can't trust in the ocean. There's nothing, there's nothing surrounding you right there. In those times, we must do what Jonah did. Cry out to the Lord. Keep your eyes upon him. And know this, my friend, his salvation is coming. It may not be the exact way that you planned for it to be. It may not be the exact time you want it, but his salvation is coming. How do I know this? Because the Lord is our manna. The Lord is our bread. The Lord is our life. The Lord is who sustains us. Even when we mess up in our lives, when our life is out of control, he sustains us. Even when everything's going great and, and you're on the mountaintop, the Lord sustains us. You see, in life's valleys and life's mountains, the Lord is our sustainer. 
No matter where we find ourselves in, in this, this, this series of life, be assured that the Lord's manna is with us. And of course, we're not talking about bread here. We're talking about his presence. His appointment is never early and it's never late. Have you ever been and, and you're waiting on someone for an appointment and, and they're early or they're late? God is always on time. He's an on-time God. God is never early, he's never late, and he gives us exactly what we need, even though we may not see it, even though we may not understand that this is his principle. Maybe we don't understand that this is his provision, but understand this, dear friend, child of God, the Lord sustains us. It may not come the way you want it to. It may not come at the time you want it. Jonah probably said, okay, God, all you have to do is send me a helicopter on this boat and, and I'll go to Nineveh. I, I don't have to go into the belly of the fish. But what we'll see next week is that it was so important. God even used the trial that Jonah went in. The fish, the fish has a very important role in all of the story of what happens in Jonah 3 and 4. You need to come back next week to hear about why the fish was so important. So what does he provide? First of all, we see the story is about God. Number two, we see that the Lord sustains Number three, we understand that God cares for us despite our guilt. God cares for us despite our guilt. Let's not forget this fact. Jonah was guilty. Jonah messed up. It was Jonah's sin. And, and while, while we like to major on the positive, there is a very clear teaching in Scripture that we cannot get away from. And it's this. There is a real penalty for sin. My sin and your sin, there is a penalty that, that has to be paid. Sin comes with repercussions. No sin is innocent. No sin do you get off the hook for. Every sin must be atoned for. Jonah was not on his way to Nineveh when he was thrown into the sea. He was running from God. He was living in disobedience. He was guilty. That's why he was in the water. Now that's the negative. The negative is pain and guilt that comes because of our sin. And listen, when you sin, when I sin, pain and guilt come. That's a result of sin. But here's the good news. Some of you are in trouble right now because of your disobedience. And you're wondering, is there hope? Is there any hope? Will God have mercy on me? Will God hear my cry of distress? Listen, take heart from Jonah. His problem was a direct result of his guilt. His problem was a direct result of his sin. But God answered him despite his sin. This is a theme we see over and over and over again in Scripture. Let me give you a verse. You can read it when you get home. I'm going to read it to you right now. Psalm 107, verses 10 through 15. Let me read Psalm 107, verses 10 through 15 for you. It says, the psalmist writes, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction in the irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. So, so far, the psalmist has said, there are people who have sinned against God. God solved their sin, and God had brought, brought uh, calamity upon them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Dear friend, listen. If you're sinking in hopelessness, there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are looking for forgiveness, forgiveness is found through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our God is a forgiving God. When you cry out to him, even in your guilt, even in your sin, he hears and he is there. You see, that blows my mind. 
That, that is so amazing to me. What does human nature do when, when, when someone does something bad to you? Human nature is, well, I've got to get even. You do bad to me, I ain't going to do bad to you. You walk out on me, don't even think about coming back, because if you walk out on me, I ain't going to be here when you get back. That's human nature, right? You hurt me, I hurt you. But that's not, that, that may be human nature, but that's not God's nature. Sin, by definition, is a transgression against God. While others can be involved in your sin, ultimately sin is against God. And if sin is against God, only God can forgive sin. Did you catch that? If your sin, and your sin is against God, only God can offer forgiveness for that trespass. His nature is not to walk out. His nature is not to get even, but to meet us at our rebellion with love and the correction of a father. He loves us because he cares. He brings correction because he cares. If you're sinking in your sin like Jonah, you look around, you say, where's the hope? There is no hope. Cry out to the Lord. Trust in him. The key is to realize that when you're sinking, you don't keep sinking. You do something about it. Stop spiraling out of control. Stop living in that sin. Turn to the Lord. If you're drowning, turn to him. He is the rescuer. Number four, God's purpose often includes redemption. Let's see the connection so far. We said this is a story about God. We said the Lord sustains us. We said that he cares for us despite our guilt. And now we're saying God's purpose includes redemption. You see, that makes sense. If all of those other three things are true, then it, 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 it's, it brings great hope. It brings solace to our heart to know that, that God often brings redemption. What does redemption mean? It means to purchase back. You see, look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves, your billows passed over me. Now, wait a minute. Look back at that first statement. Jonah says, for you cast me into the sea. Wait, Jonah. Who cast you into the sea? In chapter 1, it tells us that the sailors cast him into the sea. But in his prayer, he is, he is confessing the fact that he knows that those sailors were doing God's work. Sometimes bad things happen, and it's, it's God who is pushing us into the direction that we need to go. Jonah knew it was those sailors' big hands that picked him up and, and threw him over. However, he says, God, you used those heathen sailors to bring me to the place of repentance. Jonah knew who was in control. It was God. Why did, God, why did God have to throw Jonah into the sea? Is it because God was angry with Jonah? I don't believe that it was because he was angry. I believe that, that he brought chastisement upon Jonah because he was disappointed in Jonah. We understand that, don't we, parents? I mean, when our little rugrats do something wrong and we have to correct them, we don't do it out of anger. Let me preface that. We should not do it out of anger. Especially when your son, your 18-month-old son, takes your wife's phone and th throws it into the toilet and flushes it. I'm not bitter, but, but even when that happens, even, even then, it's not that we react out of anger. We react out of frustration. We react out of disappointment. We react out from a broken heart. 
when our children transgress against our law, the law of the land, the law of God, it, what, what, what happens to us? Well, it disappoints us. It breaks our heart. Why? Because we want our children to follow the rules that we have set before them. Because, kids, listen, we know more than you do. Your parents know more than you do. One day, one day you will come to the realization of this. Right now, you don't get it. Right now, you don't understand this. But I remember my aha moment. It was when I had my first child. When Sarah and I had our first child, and I thought, you know what? My parents were right. I called them up. I said, Mom, Dad, you were right. They said, about what? I said, about everything. You know, God's correction is meant to bring about redemption. Parents, how many times have you told your child that, that when you're having to punish them, this hurts me more than it hurts you? Or I don't want to discipline you, but you have left me no choice. Why do we discipline our children? Because we know, listen to me, we know that discipline brings about redemption. We understand that, that discipline, though it's hard, it hurts us more than it hurts them the discipline that we are giving to our child, while it hurts them for the moment, ultimately it will bring redemption in their life. It will bring correction. Go home and read Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, we don't have time. We're, we're almost out of time now. But in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that, that we should not be so quick to neglect and run from discipline. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that, that if you reject discipline, you are an illegitimate child. Discipline's never easy, but discipline is always given out of the context of love. Discipline is always given out uh, to serve a greater purpose. Church discipline, it's not something we hear about often, but church discipline is a very real thing that we find in the New Testament, is it not? That when they, a certain sin, a sin that is, that is large, that happens within the body of believers, Paul writes and tells us in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians how we are to react to that. When a sin happens and it begins to, begins to spread through the church, we are to root out that sin. We are to cut out that sin and we are to remove that individual from the body. Why is that? Because sin is like a cancer. And when, when cancer gets into the body, it spreads like wildfire. When sin gets into the camp, when sin gets into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us that we are to go to those specific sins. When those sins become public and there is an unrepentant heart, so you're living in sin, your sin becomes manifest, and, and, and when we see your sin, your sin is broadcast across the church, and, and we see the sin, and still yet you are unrepentant. The Bible says we are to go to you and to pull you out of this body and to sit you over here on the sidelines. You say, well, that's hard. That's harsh. That's not politically correct. It may not be politically correct, but it's biblically correct. Why is that? Because sin... Sin in the Bible is called leaven. Why is it that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, why is it that when Jews celebrate Passover that they eat bread that has, that's unleavened? Leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. When sin, leaven, touches anything, it begins to, begins to multiply like cancer. 
We must pull out the leaven. We must pull out the sin. Now, when we pull out that cancer, when we pull out that sin, when that individual is pulled out of the body of fellowship, we don't just leave them over to the side. No, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us the purpose of church discipline is not to shun them. Not to broadcast their sin, but church discipline is meant to be done and operated in the sense that we are to bring about redemption. Discipline brings redemption. This is a picture of how God deals with us. God's ultimate purpose for us is that when we sin, we sin is not to reject us. His purpose is not to reject us, but to redeem us. At times, trials may come into your life, like Jonah. Something that you have sinned, and God is is immediately bringing a judgment to bring correction. Maybe, Maybe you're in the shoes of Job, and you've not done anything wrong. It's not a, your trial that you're facing is not a direct result of your sin. However, understand that God uses trials. God's purposes are higher than our purposes. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's purpose. None of us are perfect. And so God allows storms, sometimes of our own doing, sometimes of the doing of others. Sometimes we don't even know why these things have happened. God allows them to come into our life for the sole purpose of redemption. What is the purpose of life? There's a big question. What's the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to live like Jesus Christ. And the only way we can live like Jesus Christ is for God to be a surgeon and come into our heart and dissect these sinful desires out of our heart and pull them out. And the way God often does that is through trials. You see, when we're on the mountaintops, we don't really look for God. It's in the valleys when we're trusting in the Lord. It's in the valleys when we're often on our knees. It's in the valleys when we become religious. But God's desire for us is to walk in his ways and to trust in him. Number five, don't miss God's blessings. We've touched on this a little bit, but going back to the story, verse 7. Uh, look at it. it says when my life was fainting away i remember the lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple into heaven jonah was praying for an answer right before he blacked out in fact he probably blacked out and regained consciousness days later realizing that he was spared by god in the belly of a beast god often answers our questions in the 11th hour you know, many have groaned with Habakkuk saying in Habakkuk 1, 2, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Maybe you said that as Habakkuk did. I, I'm crying out to you, God, and, and you're not here. You feel like you're a million miles away. Maybe that's how you feel, but that's not reality. Do you understand that feelings, while you cannot, I understand, I understand feelings seem very real. You can't help at times the way you feel. But understand that, that, that feelings are not always based on reality. Feelings are not always based on reality. You may feel as if God's a million miles away like Habakkuk and Habakkuk 1-2. But take heart from Jonah. When Jonah was about to die, he cried out to the Lord. And even though all that he had did, all that he had done, and all that God had to orchestrate for this one man to do what he told him to do in the first place, 
God was still present and God still answered. Why all of this? Why didn't God just use somebody else? Because God wanted to use Jonah. Now, as we look at the first three chapters, you can summarize the first uh, three chapters, really the first two chapters of Jonah, in a very simple way. It goes like this. God said go. Jonah said no. God said, oh? Maybe your life can be summarized that way. God's told you to go. And for whatever reason, you said no. If it's God's purpose and God's plan for you to accomplish this thing, then he will move heaven and earth to make sure, as we said a couple weeks ago, one of two things is going to happen. If God tells us to do something, he's either going to pursue us the way he pursued Jonah, or he's going to do what he did with King Saul. What did he do with King Saul? He removed his hand of blessing off of him. That's a very scary thing. As I said last week, I've seen churches that were on fire for the Lord, and God gave them a clear direction, a clear purpose in life, and said, I want you to accomplish that. I want you to do this. And the church said, no, we're fine just how we are. We don't want any new people coming in. We're fine just where we are. Leave us alone. We'll do our thing. We'll be a country club. And God left them and let them do that. And now the church is no more. God will remove his hand of blessing. As we think about what happened here in Jonah, we see that there are three groups in need of a blessing. Number one, and they were in need of a blessing, God brought it. God brought a blessing each time. First of all, the sailors in chapter 1, verse 6. The sailors were crying out. They were in need of salvation. They were in need of a blessing. That Their boat was rocking, and God brought a blessing to them. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 6, the verses that we just read, Jonah was in need of a blessing. He cried out to God, and God heard him from his holy temple, and he brought blessing upon him. The Ninevites in chapter 3, verse 9, they didn't even realize that they were living in sin. They had no idea that they had transgressed against God. And God brought Jonah, the prophet, to them to speak the truth, and they found salvation in him. They found healing, forgiveness, and blessing. Today, are you like these? Are you looking for a blessing? Are you in need of a blessing? Are you in need of a touch from the Lord? Maybe you're in a situation, not you did nothing wrong like the sailors. You've done nothing wrong, but yet your life is in a tempest, in a storm. Maybe you're like Jonah, and it was all your fault. Maybe you're like the Ninevites, and you're just completely clueless. You're just living your life, and, and it's not good, it's not bad, it's just neutral. Whether you're a sailor and you realize my life is sinking, and I don't know why, or your life is like Jonah and your life is sinking, and you know why? Or your life is like the Ninevites and you're just walking through life completely aimless, completely clueless. We all need the blessing of God on our life. Turn to him, run to him. Our God is a forgiving God and our God wants to bless you, take you from where you are, whether it's your fault, somebody else's, it doesn't matter whose fault. Turn to him. Turn to the Lord, and he will bless 
you. Will you bow your heads with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed across this room. Those who are watching by internet, please join us as we think about this. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord. May today be the day of salvation for you. Turn to Him. Maybe you're just walking through life and you're saying, well, you know, everything's pretty okay. Things are good. Still, you need to turn to Him. He is your sustainer. Don't get so haughty, so full of yourself that you think that it's all about you. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about the Lord. As we are about to have a time of response, I challenge every one of us here today that if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, Lord, you've never been saved, I invite you to slip out from where you are. We'll have a minister at the head of each of these aisles. You come, and we would love to take God's word and show you straight from God's word how you can be saved, how you can have a relationship with God. How awesome is that? Maybe you're here today and you are a child of God, but, but you're, you're sinking and you're trying to keep your head above water. Maybe it's something you've done. Maybe it's completely uh, irrelevant. But you've, not com- you've not inherently sinned, which has caused this, but you're still sinking and you need prayer. Come, we'd love to pray with you, pray for you. You can come and kneel these steps and make these steps an altar and, and cry out to the Lord. If you need to join this church, you come. We'll receive you as we receive members. Maybe you just need to stay right where you are and, and you're, you've, you've been sinning and God has spoken to your heart and told you, you need to break this cycle of sin. How do I do that? Well, you repent. If you are a child of God, you have all the power of the Holy Spirit already living inside of you. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect. But that sin is keeping you from living in the perfect will of God. Turn from that. Run to God. He is here. He is right here. He has never left you. You may feel like he's a million miles away, but friend, he is right here. He is an on-time God. Trust him. Run to him. Don't throw your hands up. Don't quit. Run to him, and he will answer. may not be the way you want him to, but he will answer and sustain.